Friends, I felt led, interesting, I felt led uh, to preach this morning on something that I've never preached on on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you know this. Uh, our preaching team, which includes 17 uh, men and women uh, who preach here and at the Franklin Avenue campus, um, we have a commitment in this space, this gathering, many times to preach on the most foundational things, uh, what we value the most, to preach not ourselves but Jesus. There's a lot of things we don't preach on in this gathering. Um, and it's because this is our most public gathering. We don't know everyone that comes here. You might be new and we might not know you. Uh, there's often visitors. Um, over the years, we've been blessed to have a lot of people begin their faith in Jesus to encounter him and be baptized in water here. And people are at the beginning of their journey might not even be familiar with the Bible. That might be you. You might still be in that place. And so we've just made a commitment over the years to make this space our most foundational teaching. And there's other places where we kind of break down um, some uh, you know, teachings that might not be quite foundational but are still important. Today, I'm taking one of those teachings that we might not normally bring into this space. We talk about it elsewhere. Um, and I'm going to preach on it here. Um, and it's just because I felt the Lord lead us here. So I was actually headed in another uh, kind of a half step different until last night. But I felt the Lord just wanted us to talk about this um, as I was praying last night for you. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles and get in your devices to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We're mostly going to be in 14, but that's 1 Corinthians 14. Um, you can get there. Just for some context, let me remind you what we've been doing. So we've been talking about the Holy Spirit the last couple weeks. We are Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered family on mission. And we believe the mission is impossible without his power. That the Spirit is not given as a distinctive to certain groups of Christians, but that this was God's design from the beginning, is that we should be a spirit-filled people following him on mission in the world. And over the years, as we've been on mission with Jesus, we've come into a deeper experience of the spirit. You should know that some of the things that happen here at the tab these days did not, actually, it's what our church was started in, um, but we uh, uh, had not experienced some of those things for many, many years. But over the last 10 to 15 years, um, the Spirit's presence and activity among us has become more pronounced, but it really happened as we got on mission with Jesus. As we followed Jesus on mission, um, we found that he was imparting his Spirit to us um, for the thing that he had called us to. So two weeks ago, we were talking about how John the Baptist taught two baptisms, uh, baptism in water for the repentance of sin, and then this is the language of Matthew, uh, baptism in fire or baptism in the Holy Spirit, where a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. We said as we studied Jesus' baptism in Matthew, that Jesus goes first in all things that pertain to our salvation, and so he was baptized in water, told his cousin John the Baptist that this was necessary to fulfill all righteousness, is baptized in water, and then subsequently and immediately following, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God came on him. We noted that that was an experience for Jesus there, being baptized in the Father's love. This is my Son whom I love, and Him I'm well pleased. That voice spoke from heaven. It was an identity-forming experience in the love of the Father. 
And this is still what it is to encounter the Spirit of God. Many of you have experienced this or are growing in hunger for this, um, an experience of the love of God, a direct encounter. We talked about the need to shepherd each other's souls toward that encounter, not towards one of our church programs or to my preaching or to an activity that we do as a church, but to an encounter with the risen Christ, right? Um, That's what's needed. That's where the action is. So all the things that we do as the gospel tab are only valuable if that's where it's leading, amen? It's for people to encounter Jesus himself. Um, And so we talked about that last week. Uh, We were looking at when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2, Luke's language, most typically for the filling, I'm sorry, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are equivalent terms. And so it's what we use most often around here to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that happens after we come to salvation in Jesus. It can happen multiple times in our journey with the Lord. There's just these points where we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We encounter the love of God in a deeper, more fuller way. And he fills us with his Spirit. Um, And we were noting what that had to do with mission, right? The Spirit of God is poured out on the church in an ordinary room. And I said, this is the heart of God in the season in which we live for groups, even small groups of gathered believers, small families on mission. They're dispersed and decentralized in their neighborhoods. Um, uh, Ask and receive what the Spirit of God is giving. And that they are filled with the Spirit in living rooms and at sports fields and in neighborhoods and on the streets. Because in this age, it's noticeable that in Acts chapter 2, that God didn't tell the disciples to go to the temple to get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit in this ordinary room. And that's how God is working in the world today. And we said, as we follow Jesus, position ourselves in these ordinary places, um, we become these hot spots where his spirit is poured out and God's presence manifests among us in particular ways. We noted also last week that part of the outpouring of the spirit is reducing the barriers that exist between tribes of people And in the polarized, angry times, nearing violent times in which we live, um, this should be a mark of God's presence and power among his people, is that barriers are reduced between groups of people in the atmosphere of divine love as his spirit is being poured out. Now today, I want to talk about a particular manifestation of the Holy Spirit um, that, like I said, I don't think we've ever talked about in this gathering, and that is the ability to speak in different languages as the Spirit gives us the ability to either deliver a word in a language that we don't know, and maybe the hearers in the room don't know either, um, or uh, to pray and worship and sing in a language that we don't know to God. Um, This happens at the Gospel Tab. If you hang out with us long enough, you're going to hear this happening in our church. And uh, I'm sure people have questions. Uh, you, it might already be happening with you, and you might have no idea what's happening. That wouldn't be uncommon in our church. Um, same thing with prophecy. Some of you are already, as the Spirit of God is working in you, prophesying, and you might not know how all of that works. You just know that it's happening. That's okay. Um, you might not have experienced anything I'm talking about yet. That's okay, too. But more than just like talking about this particular manifestation, I want us to notice some things about how Jesus works among his people. Um, There's things to learn in Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth about tongues um, that just teaches us how Jesus works among his people and what we should expect and how we can partner with that. So let me give you some context. Paul is writing to an ancient church in the 
city of Corinth, a Greek city. Actually, prior to the pandemic, which feels like a whole lifetime ago, we were preaching through 1 Corinthians. I don't know if you remember that. Before the pandemic came, it got interrupted by the pandemic. We might revisit it someday. Um, Kiara preached our last sermon prior to the pandemic in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think. Um, and that was our first online service, too. I think someone had a phone in the front seat <laughs> and was trying because half the church was already not coming. Um, strange times we've lived in, huh? Um, and so we've been in this before, but the church in Corinth is a church that's experiencing power. God is doing a lot of great things among them. The Holy Spirit is manifesting among them. But there's some problems, too. Uh, there's some sins that Paul has to correct, some relational issues that Paul has to correct. And, and most of these issues really stem to, to one thing, and it's that this church has equated spiritual maturity with two things, either knowledge about God or experiencing manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And because they've equated these things with maturity, these are things that they now boast about and you know, uh, you know, think that they're better than other people because of these things. And Paul's major correction in this letter is that knowledge about God does not equate spiritual maturity. There's lots of people who know a lot about God, and that does not mean that they're necessarily spiritually mature. Um, and uh, speaking in tongues and performing signs and wonders and having prophetic words does not make a person mature either. As a matter of fact, it's been our experience, I already referenced it, that brand new believers can evidence all of those things. Um, even before they know the teachings in the scripture, because the Spirit of God is doing it in them. So it can't be equated with maturity. What is Christian maturity? Well, Paul's going to say it. It's love. Um, love is the mark of Christian maturity. And knowledge is only useful if it's formed in love. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit are only useful. Ultimately, God might still use them, but they only reach their full effectiveness if they're formed in love. And so that's the point that Paul is making here in 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians 12, he paints this beautiful picture of the diversity of the church. It's ethnic diversity. It's socioeconomic diversity. The early Christians are experiencing tribes of people coming together in vital relationship because of the way the Holy Spirit is working among them. So he paints that picture. And then he goes into these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you gather together, you people who are different cultures, different socioeconomic statuses, the Holy Spirit can come on you in your gatherings or bubble up within you, however you want to word it, and you can manifest Jesus through a particular gift. That can look like speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues. It can look like healing the sick. It can look like being filled with faith. It can look like giving a word of knowledge, which is knowing uh, knowledge that you couldn't have known except in a supernatural way uh, to deliver a word to someone. Uh, there's lots of ways that the Holy Spirit can manifest and someone who teaches really well on this is a person named John Wimber who started the Vineyard Association of Churches. And he liked to describe what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 as the dancing hand of God over the room of gathered Christians. It's like God's hand is moving over and, and one person is manifesting a word of knowledge and one person is manifesting a prophetic gift and one person is speaking in tongues and another person is interpreting. And I really believe that any Christian can evidence any of those gifts. Um, there might be some that you evidence more, um, but these are just manifestations of the Holy Spirit that can really show up in any of us in any gathering. I've known people who spoke in tongues one time in their whole life, delivered a word in tongues, never happened again. And I know people who have uh, spoken in tongues as a regular part of their prayer life. And so it can happen you know, in different kinds of ways. But he's painting this picture of the Spirit of God working among the gathered group of people 
And then in 1 Corinthians 13, he starts to talk about love. Now, I've, as a pastor, I've done a lot of weddings, and this is a passage that a lot of couples ask uh, to be read at their wedding ceremony. There's nothing wrong with that because it's a beautiful description of love. But Paul here is not talking about weddings or marriage. Um, he's talking about love as it pertains to what we're talking about today, spiritual gifts. And he says this. It's probably a familiar passage to many of you, but we're just going to read 1 Corinthians 13.1. It'll be on the screen. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on to describe, and the rest of that chapter, it's beautiful. If you've never read it, you should read it, um, what love looks like in the family on mission. Um, but he's talking here about literal tongues. Um, he's saying, if I speak in the tongues of men, that is, if I deliver a word from God uh, to someone in a known language, this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. They were given the ability to speak other languages that were on the earth that people who spoke those languages could understand. By the way, this stuff still happens today. We have friends in Aliquippa who have been mentors to us, um, older saints who mentor us. And uh, one of them uh, said that in the 20s, in the 20s, when she was in her 20s, and the Spirit of God was uh, working among them, uh, she spontaneously sang a song in the Holy Spirit in one of their gatherings. And there were missionaries from a nation in Africa present in the room and they heard, they knew the language she was speaking. Um, she had never spoken it before, but it ended up encouraging them because it came through in this language that they were using in Africa. Isn't that amazing? That's cool. God, do that here, please. So, so that's cool. But it also says the tongues of angels, which means syllables and words that might not be a known language here on earth, but might bubble up out of someone in prayer or as they deliver a word to the gathering of Christians. Um, um, that is from God, but it might not be a language that anyone would recognize you know, here on the earth. But Paul's point here is, no matter what kind of tongues are present, this ability to speak in another language, um, if it's not shaped in love, it's only noise, right? By the way, the same is true of preaching, amen? It doesn't matter how amazing I preach up here. If it's not formed in love, it's just noise, right? Hey, the same is true in evangelism, right? If we're out there sharing and proclaiming the gospel with people and we get all the points down and tell them everything they need to know about Jesus, but it's not formed in love, it's just noise on the street, right? Um, this stuff has to be formed in love in us. So this is the point that Paul is making. And after making this beautiful uh, point about love in 1 Corinthians 13 and what love looks like, it looks like deference and honor and being patient with one another and kind with one another. Then he gets into some practical instructions on tongues and prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, I'm really not going to get to say much about prophecy today. You should know there are lots of spaces in both the network and at the gospel tab uh, where these things are taught. Um, uh, prophecy in a nutshell in the New Testament is just receiving a spontaneous message from God and delivering it in love. Um, sometimes we do it here. Sometimes we do it out on the street. Um, but it's God speaking through us um, to people. I wish I could teach on that, but there's no way I would have time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say some things about tongues in the next few minutes, and I'm not even going to have time to say everything there is about that. Do you remember how we were in our series on the Bible? We were talking about how we're Bible people. I think this is when I came back from sabbatical and you know, February or March, um, and I was encouraging you to, to not be afraid of the feeling of not knowing everything that's in the scriptures. When you feel that feeling, um, make a choice to remain humble and curious instead of afraid. 
And so there might be things that you don't understand today, you know, coming from the scriptures. You might have more questions. I'd be happy. Other leaders here would be happy to engage that with you. But I would just encourage you, remain humble and curious. Um, Don't become afraid, you know, about what we don't know. But I think Paul here says some just really good instruction about what it looks like to experience Jesus together. And I'm not going to be able to read the whole chapter. This is not normally how I would want to preach, just kind of pulling these verses. But I'm going to today for the sake of time. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 14.1. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now that first part, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Paul here is encouraging us. By the way, all true discipleship really is about shaping our desires in God's love. Many of you are discipling people. Um, we're not just teaching them skills, and we're not just teaching them knowledge. We're shaping people's desires. We're shepherding people's desires in love. And Paul is doing that with this group of people he's writing to. He's shaping their desires to want the right things, and one of the things that he wants them to want is spiritual gifts. Why wouldn't we want God to show up in these ways in our gathering? Why wouldn't we want as much of that as God was giving, right? Um, Whatever it looked like. Um, Over the years, people have come to me and said, I want to speak in tongues. I want to heal the sick. I want to prophesy. What should I do? My advice is always the same. Ask. Just ask him. If you want to do it, ask. I'm not sure my motivations are right. Yeah, mine aren't a lot either in prayer, right? That's one of the things that happens in prayer in his presence, is that God shapes our motivations. And I promise if you want to speak in tongues or prophesy for the wrong reasons, the best thing to do is to take that desire, even if you're not sure it's completely right, and take it to his presence. Let him shape that. Let him form that, right, in his love. But I would ask. I love it when Isla asks me for things, right? I say no sometimes, but I love that she feels like she can ask me, right? Because that's part of her relationship to me as my four-year-old daughter, if you don't know. Um, But that's part of how she relates to me as her dad. She feels like she can ask. So why wouldn't we ask him? Um, So if you've never spoken in tongues, you've never prophesied, you've never healed somebody, and you want that, I, I think that's a good desire. And I would just ask him and let God shape that. But then notice how he says, desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Now, we're not going to get to read all of this, but Paul is going to make a point in this section that to him, in a gathering like this, Prophecy, generally speaking, is a more useful gift than tongues. And here's why. Because those prophetic words are typically delivered in the language of the hearer. So somebody, you know, receives a spontaneous message from God. They feel like they should share it in a gathering like this or share it with the person sitting next to them or whatever. Um, And it's often delivered in the language of the hearer. For Paul, that has to do with love. Remember, we were talking about this last week with language that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is reduce the barriers of language between people. Um, And so Paul is just saying, look, desire all the gifts, but if you really want to desire one, desire prophecy. But that's just not what I'm preaching about today. (laughs) All right? Um, And so he's not putting down tongues at all. Um, He's not saying don't desire that one. Um, He's just saying, making this point, that we ought to think about love when we think about what gifts we want. Not just gifts that bring attention to us, but that cause us to love each other in really practical ways that we might be able to spontaneously deliver a word to someone that encourages them, that lifts them up. Maybe the sermon you know, didn't speak to their particular situation, but they walk out of here feeling like they heard God because the person next to them turned to them and said, hey, it's like God is saying to you this, right? Um, and they walk out, you're thinking like, wow, God spoke to me 
you know, because this person loved me enough to share with me something in my own language that I could understand. Let's jump down to verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. So here we learn something else. That Paul encourages the person who is praying or speaking in tongues um, to, I'm going to say more about that in a second, in a language that they don't know, syllables that don't make sense to their own mind, but the Spirit of God is causing that to bubble up in them. Um, he says that we should also pray that we'd be able to interpret. So maybe we're here in a gathering in a worship time like we just had, and you're just you know, praying, someone's praying in a language that they don't understand, there's syllables in their mind and their heart maybe coming out of their mouth that they don't fully understand. They should also pray that God would give them a sense of that meaning because maybe there's a prophetic word in that for the person sitting next to them. Um, maybe there's something to share out of that. Maybe the Spirit of God is working in them in a mysterious way that would result in a message to share with somebody else. Um, so he says that's something we should ask for too, is not just for tongues, but for the ability to interpret those tongues. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, pay attention to this, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, right there, in a rationalistic, scientific, uh, rationalistic, scientific, naturalistic culture, uh, which we've all been shaped by, whether you know it or not, our tendency is to read this verse, verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful as a negative statement, right? It's like, well, Paul can't be blessing this because he's saying that it doesn't engage the mind. And, and we come from a cultural background that lifts the mind above everything else. Paul is not putting the mind down. He's just saying that that's not the only way to pray. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 15. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit sometimes, but I will also pray with my understanding, my mind. And now we learn something else. You can just not speak in tongues, but also sing in tongues. I will sing with my spirit sometimes, but I will also sing with my understanding, my mind. What he's saying is, there, Paul's saying, there are times when I pray that I am stringing together syllables that make sense to the language that I know into words that I know. I'm putting those words together in sentences and offering them up to God. I'm praying with my mind, with my understanding. It's a great way to pray. You should do it. But he's saying, there are also times when I pray or sing with my spirit in syllables that I don't know, in syllables that I don't understand. Um, doesn't make sense to my mind. There's a sense in which that kind of praying is actually bypassing my mind, but it's still coming from a real part of me that is connecting with God. My spirit, the spiritual part of me, is connecting with God's spirit in prayer or in singing. Um, and so he's saying, I do both, sometimes with my understanding, sometimes uh, with my spirit. Um, now, people have sometimes asked me, when we uh, you know, pray or sing in tongues, um, does, uh, does it need to like, sound like a language? Like, What about when it just sounds like syllables? Um, I'm going to tell you a story at the end of this that will answer this question in part. But can I just say this? Every prayer, every sermon we give, every time we talk to God who is infinitely transcendent, to God who fills the universe with his presence and his wisdom and his mind, um, everything we do must sound to him like da, 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 da. Everything. <laughs> um, 
It, I love this theme of childlikeness that the Spirit of God was speaking in this service. My daughter communicated to me for years with da, 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 da. You know, my four-year-old daughter a couple years ago, that's all she was saying. Da, 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 and, she, and a lot got done, right? <laughs> Off of da, 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 da. And here's why. It's because I love her. It's because that's enough. I'm not looking for the sophistication of the sound coming out of her mouth, right? I'm translating what sounds childlike into meaning so that I can express my love to her. And at its base, that's what speaking in tongues is. So sometimes it sounds like this fully developed language. I think God also rejoices when we're like, da, 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 you know, to him. Why not? Why wouldn't God? He loves us. You know, why wouldn't he bless us? Let me answer another question real quick because I meant to answer it earlier. Um, you might also be asking the question, like, does everyone have to do this? Does everyone have to speak in tongues? Many times in, in the New Testament, we see that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they also spoke in tongues. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Sometimes it happens with us, too. I'm never surprised that when the Spirit of God encounters someone that this might be something that could happen. They could speak in tongues. But I want you to know that for me and for much of the leadership here at our church, um, we don't believe that speaking in tongues is the only evidence or, or even necessarily the evidence that God would give you of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What I'm looking for is love, Right? And speaking in tongues, because it's associated with prayer, delivering a message to God's people, which we'll get to in a second, is a manifestation of love. But I've known many spirit-filled Christians, I bet you have too, who have never spoken in tongues. Maybe they didn't speak in tongues, but they prayed for a sick person and they got better. Maybe they've never spoken in tongues, but they delivered a prophetic word to someone. I'm not going to say that that person's not filled with the Holy Spirit. However, not everybody in our church agrees with me on this point, and I just want to say uh, you do not have to agree with everything I'm saying about tongues in this message to be part of this. Um, over the years, you know, people have, we're a really diverse network, especially when you get into the network, we're a diverse group of people. Um, you know, uh, over the years, I had someone come to me and be like, I'm not sure about this whole tongue thing. Can, can I, like, be part of this? Like, I'm not sure if any of that's real. Um, uh, the answer is, of course you can be part of this. There's no test. You know what I mean? Like, of course you can be part of this. Now, I told them, you are going to hear people do this because we do embrace it. And so you have to wrestle with that. Decide if, if you're down with this or not. You know, Decide if you want to be part of this or not. This person has agency and they should make real choices. Um, and so that's fine. Um, but uh, of course you can be part of this. On the flip side, there are some people in our church who really sincerely believe from the scriptures that every time someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they should speak in tongues. And to those of you who believe in that, which is a little bit different than when I just communicated, I want you to know, I'm glad you're here, and you probably have more faith for people to speak in tongues than I do, so I'm glad you're here, and lay hands on people and pray for them to speak in tongues, for real. You're welcome here, too. Um, but what I believe, and what I'm going to teach, is that um, this is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be clear, I don't think you're any less of a Christian because you don't speak in tongues, all right? Um, remember, don't compare yourself to somebody else. The question is always, we've been saying this over these last few weeks, the question is always just, how much of God do I want, right? Not have I had the right experience, have I had the experience of the person sitting next to me, just how much of God do you want, and let him answer that question for you. Okay, okay, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, first of all, my understanding is that the Greek in verse 18, this was originally written in Greek, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. The essence of that sentence is, I speak in tongues more than all of you combined. Now, Paul is kind of, there's a little bit of attitude in that. He's kind of putting them in their place because they think they're all that, you know? So he's like, you want to boast about speaking in tongues? He's like, I speak in tongues more than all of you combined, right? And so he's kind of being corrective. He's a spiritual father for them. So he's being corrective, but we learn something in that verse about what Paul's prayer life when he was alone looked like. That many times when Paul was alone praying to God, he prayed in syllables that did not make sense to his mind. Sometimes I pray with my understanding, sometimes I pray with my spirit. And he was saying a lot, a lot of times when I'm praying, I'm praying in tongues. God has given me this ability. This is different than the kinds of tongues that get delivered in a gathering, which he's going to get to in a second. He's right now talking about his prayer life. And sometimes it's helpful to pray in tongues. Now, we, we know, we understand this, because relationships are more, they involve our minds, but they're more than just our minds. My relationship with my wife is not just knowing facts about her, right? Although that's important. So my mind is engaged in my relationship with my wife, understanding, to know her story, to ask her questions. But you know, there's parts of that relationship that are beyond words, that are hard to find words for. As a matter of fact, there's something connecting that is not just our minds, right? But the other parts of who we are too. And so, so you, you know this. How many of you in your prayers have sighed to God? <sighs> Would you say that's not a prayer because it wasn't syllables strung together in a sentence? That's a prayer. That's a prayer. How many of you know that your tears to God are prayers? It's praying deeper than words. There are times when our minds don't even have the words. We don't even have the capacity to string it together. So sometimes just praying in syllables that we don't even understand. Just our mouths are moving and sounds are coming out and we don't understand it, but we know that our, our spirit is communicating to God. It's, it's a deep form of intimacy. But then Paul says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words. I think over the years, people have interpreted this to mean that Paul's somehow putting down tongues. He's not. He's just saying in a gathering like this, like let's take me standing in front of you today. Wouldn't you rather hear this sermon, probably in English, than me standing up here and speaking in tongues to you for a half hour, right? It's not that God couldn't use it, right? It's just that I'm serving you by communicating clearly to you in a language that you can understand. I'd rather speak five intelligible words in the church to serve you. There's times when I pray in tongues alone, but when I'm standing in front of you, Generally speaking, I'm going to communicate in a language that you can understand because I'm trying to serve you in that place. Let's jump down to verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So he's still making this point. It has to all be about love. But look at, look at the vision of the church that Paul assumes. He's not assuming this gathering. In a sanctuary. You know that, right? When the New Testament was written, none of this existed, right? So he's not assuming a church sanctuary with a pastor standing up front delivering a message. He's assuming these believers, this Jesus, viral Jesus movement that's filling the empire, is gathering together in these ordinary places in small groups. And that when they do, one of them has a song, and one of them has a tongue, 
And one of them has an interpretation. I think there's something to pay attention to in that because I would say in our experience, it is a little bit harder to practice the things in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the larger the group gets. It's actually a little bit easier in smaller gatherings. And this is why I think some of this stuff is showing up in our network. Because all across our region, as the network grows, people are gathering in small groups of people, in small, you know, the staff at Aliquippa Impact, an Oasis meeting on Franklin Avenue, and you know, everything that Jim is doing with veterans of outdoor immersion. There's these small gatherings you know, of people you know, meeting together. And we ask the Holy Spirit to show up in those places. What a wonderful place to practice. Um, but Paul does give some instructions here. He says in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. Now here, Paul is imagining a particular context. At this point, he is not talking about uh, praying in tongues and praying and worshiping. By the way, the, uh, when I first started speaking in tongues, which I'm going to tell a story in a second, uh, there's a guy in his 70s down on Franklin Avenue who I was like, what is going on? Because I didn't know what to do with it. And he was like, Joel, I'll never forget this. He was like, Joel, just enjoy God. He was like, just enjoy him. Don't overthink it, you know? <laughs> he was like, just enjoy him, you know? Like, whatever God is giving us has to do with love. Um, just enjoy him, you know? However it is that God is pouring himself on us. So it, was, it was good because it kind of reminded me not to take myself too seriously, all right? Um, but just to engage, you know, what it is that God was doing. That's one thing that tongues can be is prayer and worship to God alone. But now Paul's talking about something else. We know from later on in this passage, what he's imagining is one of you standing up right now and interrupting the speaker with a message in a tongue. And then what should we do, right? That's awkward, right? (laughs) Then what should we do? Well, Paul gives us instructions. We should ask for an interpretation so that what is spoken in a language that doesn't make sense to our minds can be interpreted into a language that does make sense to our minds and our hearts. And this has happened in our gatherings. Less here on Sunday mornings, but it's not been uncommon in our other prayer gatherings. Um, and I want to point out, it's an interpretation, not a translation. One time, um, a, a well-known healing evangelist prayed for my wife. Uh, she fell over under the power of God and was laying there on the ground, and there were lots of people praying in tongues in the room, and she could hear all of it in perfect English. So sometimes that can happen, but I think more often what's happening is uh, someone stands up and speaks in a tongue, and somebody else stands up and says, you know, the sense of what God is saying is this. It's not that they, and sometimes even two or three people might help us get there, you know, to understand why this person spoke up you know, in a different language. Um, I want to be honest with you, that interpretation piece, we're not very good at it here at the Gospel Tab. Um, if you've hung around this long enough, you know there's, like, we'll try to interpret, and I think most of the time we leave thinking, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, maybe that was it. Um, and guys, like all of these gifts, uh, we have to practice. As a matter of fact, on this interpretation thing, just because it's from God, I don't think it's the most important thing, but it's from God, so I want it. Um, I think we have to practice can I just be honest with you? Generally speaking, it's been me or Steve that has stood up in a gathering and spoken in tongues. But we're not the only ones that speak in tongues in this church. Um, I'm not doing it anymore until you come with us. No, it, it's, well, if Jesus, if Jesus tells us, I will. <laughs> um, but I would love it if some of you took some risks too. Um, I would love it if some of you took a risk to interpret. Why not? You know, We have a safe environment here. And listen, this is how the gifts work. I think we make a mistake if we think it has to go down perfect. 
Um, let, me, let me like make a parallel. From a young age, I knew that God had called me to preach, to do what I'm doing right now. My first sermon, I didn't knock it out of the park. Would you have expected that of me? And did it mean that I was sinning because I didn't? Did it mean that God hadn't gifted me? No, it just meant that I had to grow. I had to learn to steward the thing that God was giving. And we only grow by taking risks with the thing that God is giving us. So I want to encourage you to take those risks, all right? You're in a safe place to do it. And, and pray. Pray that we would be better at interpreting. We've had some, like, killer moments where someone spoke in tongues and someone interpreted it really, like, impacted the room. And, um, but a lot of times we haven't. I'm okay with it, though. I'm growing with you guys. So let's just grow together. You know, and create room for that. We don't need to shut it down either. I, you all aren't like that anyway, but we don't need to shut it down either. We just need to grow and get, leave grace for each other to grow in this. So I'm going to finish with a story. Here it is. And I hope this frees you up. Tonight, we are uh, going to gather here for upper room prayer. If you want more of the Spirit of God, don't ask the question, have I had the right experience? Have I had the experience next to me? Just answer the question in your heart and your mind. Do I want more of God? If you do, tonight would be a great night for you to show up. The invitation's open to you. Uh, we're going to worship and pray. By the way, our youth are helping lead worship together. Come on, can we put our hands together for that? That's something we've been praying for. By the way, speaking of things I don't know that we've done best at as a church, I don't think we've done the best at bringing our youth into our worship and prayer culture. Um, but Kiara and Jake and Andrina and Darian really have done something special. So tonight is the first time in a long time that youth are going to be helping to lead worship. So that's going to happen um, tonight, and I'm not, there's not going to be a message, because this is my message. We're just going to create room for the Spirit of God to move and see what happens. Um, invite him to come, and uh, we're going to pray over you. So it wouldn't be cool if some of you spoke in tongues tonight. Wouldn't that be dope? Um, if some of you, or maybe interpretation is what we really need, because we have, we have more tongue speakers than interpreters. So maybe that's what we need. I don't know. We'll let, we'll let Jesus meet us tonight. Um, you know, and I'm excited for that. But I'm going to share a story now to close. I'm going to share a story tonight to hopefully just free you up to position what it is that God is giving. I want to share with you how I started speaking in tongues, and then I want to share with you how a friend of mine started speaking in tongues. Very different stories. Here's my story. I was walking in this sanctuary over 10 years ago. We still had mustard yellow pews, praise God, and floral carpets, praise God. And I was walking around, and I remember I was standing right here, and out loud, I've often prayed out loud in this room, I said, I said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Make us a praying church. And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden, I'm on the ground, weeping uncontrollably, and what's coming out of my mouth is a language that I don't know. I hadn't asked for tongues, wasn't looking for it, wasn't eagerly desiring it. I had already experienced the Holy Spirit in other ways. I honestly, I think I'd been filled with the Spirit many, many years ago prior to that. Um, but here I am. Remember that gray carpet up here with all the, car the coffee stains? How many of you can testify? And so I was here with the coffee stains, with my face in the coffee stains, and and like clawing at the carpet as the spirit of God was on me. I'm like, but my mind was crystal clear. I mean, these things are kind of ecstatic experiences, but I hadn't lost my mind. I just wasn't engaging my mind in prayer. Hard to explain. Um, but the sound was coming out of me. My mind was crystal clear, though. I was like, I'm speaking in tongues. I was actually able to have like a train of thought um, while this was happening. And so 
didn't quite know what to do with it, so over the years I've tried to do different things with it. You know, I've stood up and delivered. Sometimes it's been right, sometimes it's been not. I remember those early, the first few times I did it, my heart was beating. I'm like, what is everyone even going to think about this? You know, all of that. But I think most often it's been useful for me in prayer. Or God has done weird things with it. I was in India one time, and um, there was this woman. She had just come to Christ through this viral church playing movement in India. Uh, she had tuberculosis. Her family had disowned her because she had been baptized in water. And we were praying for her healing, and nothing was happening. And the guy who I was ministering with, a friend of mine named John, he said, Joel, pray in tongues. I'd never done that in that situation, but I prayed in tongues um, over her. And we found out later she was healed from tuberculosis. Um, just got healed, you know? That doesn't turn into a formula like the way you heal people is praying in tongues. It's just that's what the Spirit of God, you know, said to do. By the way, did we have to interpret that? No, because Paul is talking about a particular context. When someone, when the attention of the meeting goes on them because they interrupted the meeting, which is appropriate, but they interrupted the meeting and they're speaking another language, then we should interpret. But at our church, we don't have an issue with people hearing other people speak in tongues in situations that are not that, when we're worshiping together, when we're praying for each other. Like, we don't feel like we have to interpret all that. Paul's talking about, you know, something specific, but praise God, you know, when it does get interpreted. Um, and she got healed. So for me, it was like, boom, like, you know, like, I was just overtaken with the gift of tongues, all right? Um, here's my friend's story. And by the way, I tell you that because that does happen, but I think if we think that's how it has to happen, we're not going to get everything that God is giving to us. So listen to this other story. I have a friend who, while he was at Nyack College, I may not remember all the details of this story uh, perfectly, but the gist of it is right. Um, he was at Nyack College, and he was with this guy, older guy. Every time they got together, he'd be praying in tongues. And he was like, I want to do that. Why wouldn't we want it? Like, if it's God and desire rises up in us, why wouldn't we want that? And so, so he um, uh, started to pray for it, but like nothing was happening. He never had that moment. So he decided he would start to uh, try it on his own. So he would go down to the river by Nyack, the Hudson River, and he would sit in his car and roll up his windows at the park and sit there and go, duh, 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 and hope that something would happen, you know? And just nothing happened, you know? Duh, 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 just trying, and nothing happened. Um, and sometimes he said in the dorm, he put his face in his pillow like his friends were around, and he's like, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> like, you know, trying to see if the sounds will come out of his mouth. Um, that may sound silly, but do you hear the hunger in him? You know, he wanted something that, that God was giving. So anyway, at the same time, hunger for healing was growing in him. At the Franklin Avenue campus here in a few minutes, there's going to be an extraordinary testimony of healing that happened in our church just a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, he, he was walking around campus, and he made a commitment to, like, pray for every sick person he saw. And so there was a woman, I believe she was on the basketball team, who had injured her knee. She wasn't going to be able to play anymore. He runs into her in the student center, and it's like, okay, I'm going to uh, pray for her. So he asks her if he can pray. She says yes, and he prays, and nothing happens, you know, with her knee. And so he asks if he can pray again, and this time he heard the Lord say to him, what you've been doing down by the river, do it now. And he was like, no way. 
<laughs> no, I'm not da da dying. <laughs> you know, like in, in front of this person. Like, because this is how we're like, right? We want the spirit if it makes us look sophisticated. If the spirit makes us look like we know what we're doing, if the spirit makes us look like an expert, if the spirit makes us look competent, right? Um, da 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 doesn't make you look like any of that, right? So he just couldn't bring himself to do it. So he said, I'm going to say Jesus' name, right? Because we heal in Jesus' name. So he's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he asks her, has anything happened to your knee? No. And he hears the Lord say, I didn't tell you to say Jesus. I said, do what you're doing down by the river. And so with his eyes closed, he said he couldn't even look at her. He was so embarrassed. With his eyes closed, he said, da, 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 kind of let some more, said maybe a few more syllables than just da, 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 but he may have developed a few more by that point. So he lets, he lets a few more syllables come out, and finally he has the courage to open his eyes, and tears are streaming down her face, and she's healed, completely healed. I want to tell you something. That is good theology, 100%, because it is through childlikeness that the kingdom of God breaks in. We spend an awful lot of time trying to make church sophisticated, trying to make our ministries look sophisticated, but what God uses is childlikeness. Um, and so that's kind of how he came into tongues. He started praying with that language, and eventually he got a few more syllables, and he felt silly a lot of the time while he was doing it, but God started to meet him in it, and why not? Why not? Like, why can't we go low like that with Jesus? Why can't we trust him in that place? There's something about the positioning of ourselves in childlikeness. Jesus has been saying in this service, it's going to be important for us tonight. Because I can tell you, when we gather tonight, and so many of you are going to be here, um, if we can't let go of being sophisticated, if we can't let go of looking competent, we're going to miss what God is giving. It's in childlikeness that he meets us. You guys are the best. I love you guys. Isn't it cool that we can talk about these things? The gospel tab, I love it. I love just like being a family with you.